0: We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, MMA's 2021 schedule begins in earnest this weekend. We've had a little break here over the holidays, but that ends on Saturday as the UFC presents its debut uh, event on the ABC network. We're headed back to the fight atoll for Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, so we're going to spend the better part of this show talking about that event and the stakes for both guys e- involved in the main event, the rest of the card, and what exactly MMA fans could or should expect as the UFC returns to network television this year. Uh, I guess, first of all, I got to ask you, how you feeling about these early start times?
1: man, you know, I love an early start time Roll in here Saturday afternoon, you know, get me some chips and some dip, watch some MMA while it's still light outside, wrap up at a decent hour, maybe even have time to sit and reflect at the end of the day about what we
0: have seen. Oh, you're looking forward to a quiet moment of reflection.
1: Yeah. Quiet moment of reflection. That's uh that's right up there on my list. And, uh, you know, Head hits the pillow around 9.30 p.m. in the one true time zone, I'll feel like I've had a chance to digest rather than doing the thing that we usually do where we just drag it out until like midnight and then try to rocket yourself to sleep in order to get a, a decent amount of rest.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think we are both in agreement that we don't want these early start times all the time because there is something a little bit funky about watching an MMA event, especially an MMA event that feels like it is supposed to have some gravity, supposed to have some urgency to it. As I assume this debut event on e- ABC is, is meant to, to feel and a, a pretty big matchup here with Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, which we'll talk about a lot about today. Uh, but at the same time, you know, just, it gives it a different feel happening on in the middle of the day. So that is, uh, it's not something you want to have all the time, but with a prelim start time at uh, 10 o'clock here in the one true time zone and then a, uh, a main card fight time of one o'clock in the one true time zone, I will take it for now.
1: How did your, uh, how'd your effort go to get tickets to one of these? I know you're looking at uh, scooping up some, some of the few available tickets over there on the fight a Atoll. Uh, were you successful? Did you manage to get a good seat?
0: Well, you know, all jokes aside that is uh, some sort of a different thing here about these yeah. upcoming events early in 2021 over in Abu Dhabi where the uh the security protocols, the covid protocols are a little bit tighter, a little bit tougher than what the UFC does on its own in Las Vegas. This one also going down at the new arena. We're going to exchange uh the flash forum which which was basically like a uh an aluminum frame, it's yeah. an aluminum frame with garbage bags. Yurk. stretched Stretched over the top. Yeah, the, nice the fight little, yurt.
1: Yurt fighting, FC.
0: We're we're going uh, officially to the new arena over there in Abu Dhabi. Uh, so the, I don't know if they've been having events there or if this is, act, is like the debut sporting event at the uh, – what are they calling this thing? The Etihad? Am Nailed I saying it. that right? How go. would you say it? How would you say it?
1: I wouldn't. I'd wait for you to say it. And <laughs> – See what happens.
0: Yeah, no, I like I like the way you did that. But yeah, there's going to be some fans there. We're led to some fans, led to
1: yeah. We don't know how many, but it doesn't seem like it's going to have a packed house. I guess what I'm wondering is, isn't this the exact same thing that, that Dana White said that he didn't want to do, was have just some fans in there? I understand what he's saying, that it creates kind of a weird feel if you have some fans scattered around a giant arena, and it almost feels weirder than having nobody there in a small arena, and we just it's just quiet. But it sounds like that maybe you think we got to a point where the government of Abu Dhabi was like, hey, we were looking at this as a tourism investment. And it is time for us to start reaping some of the rewards. All these people, they've been dying to go down, come out the mouth of the dragon or whatever. They've been dying to come over here, take advantage of racing cars around and fucking around on sea dews and shit like that they've seen all the ads, all this stuff we've been investing into these UFC events. Now we want to get some people in here, start making some of that money back. But I don't know. I mean, it does seem like maybe it'll be a weird feel. If you come into a big arena, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier are going to fight and we get like, all right, it's a big fight. And you hear the sound of like a rabid 3000 fans scattered all about.
0: First of all, a water slide that comes out the mouth of a king cobra snake, my friend. Okay. Let's get this right. Let's let's strive for accuracy here, if we can. Uh, second of all, it's a yeah, king like, cobra.
1: You you've you you've moved on from just saying mouth of the snake, mouth of the cobra. Now you're assigning like an actual species to it.
0: King cobra snake, my man. All right. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, it'll be weird. It'll in many ways it'll be like a uh, a throwback to like some regional MMA. Like if you go see an event at the uh, college basketball stadium in your town. And they got a, uh, you know, a homemade cage set up at, at mid court. And there's like 3000 people there. It'll be a little bit like that. Uh, certainly no weirder than, than having nobody there. I would think, although we have all had what damn near a year to get used to that. And now I guess my question is how weird is it going to be to tune in? Now, all of a sudden you got a smattering of fans there, uh, going crazy, drinking the, the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic beverages that are going to be available according to the, uh, to the rules and regulations that the government of Abu Dhabi sent out. They're going to, you know, have a couple few soda pops, get a little wild and crazy. Watch the UFC. Is it going to change the viewing experience for you to see that when, when you're at home?
1: All I'm saying is if there is a smaller crowd, that means the people who are there in person can really make themselves heard. And perhaps instead of just being another idiot shouting woo or kick him in the balls or something, if you had a message, that you wanted to get out there. Maybe telling people to listen to the co-main event podcast. Maybe shouting out when you see one of your guys about to walk in there. Maybe shouting out that somebody else got worn around the cage like a button. This, These are the kind of events where you could actually get that shit on the UFC broadcast. I'm not telling anybody out there. I assume many CME listeners, rabid fans of the podcast, have already secured tickets. So these highly exclusive events, they were very excited to come out the mouth of a, uh, I think it was a water uh, moccasin snake. Um, All I'm saying is if they went there and they felt like making themselves heard, this is the time to do it. Not when you're competing with 20,000 other voices, something to think about.
0: And if you're you're a fighter and you've been dying to get your catchphrase out there, maybe this would be a a prime time to remind the, the people gathered not to fear the consequences or wait not to fear See,
1: you, you already fucked it up
0: but you to you already fear, fucked it up yeah it's a king cobra snake my friend get it straight everybody knows the co-main event podcast proper comes out on your timelines or podcast libraries for free every monday but we'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that the true heads the truly discerning mma fans who crave their discourse both unfettered and unending you can check us out almost every day over at the co-main event podcast Patreon page. We drop not one, not two, but typically three additional podcasts every single week just for the, the entertainment and joy of the beloved patrons of the CME. That includes the Wednesday live chat, hashtag wild on Wednesday, where all topics are welcome and absolutely anything can happen, plus the Friday power hour where we typically take a deep dive into the most compelling MMA topic of the week as well as unleash the most powerful force in all of combat sports, the co-main event podcast, Patreon, Power Hour, Power Rankings. God, it rolls off the tongue. It's truly a feast for the ears. And coming up this week, Ben, on Wednesday, it looks like, or at least the last I checked, as far as uh, our martial arts movie month goes, it looks like hard times is going to prevail over uh, Bronson. So we will be watching... The 1970s bare knuckle classic hard times starring your man Charles Bronson over there. That's going to be for the movie club episode over on the Patreon. So if you want to get down with that, all you got to do is go over to patreon.com/slash co-main event and join the team. We got music again this week from our guys foreign cash. They are a music collective out of LA. If you like what you hear. From them on the show, you can check out more over at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreigncash. Of course, that's C-A-C-H-E in cash, foreign cash. We got three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, there's no belt on the poster, but Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater should make for a good introduction for the UFC on ABC. That is to say... It probably won't end in 64 seconds. And in round number two, when the co-main event is Matt Brown versus Carlos Condit, I mean, come on, guys. We all see what you're doing here. We see what you're doing with this UFC on ABC card. And in round number three, MMA on network television has yielded, shall we say, mixed results over the years. We'll look at the sports history on the biggest stage and talk about how the UFC has traditionally used its network broadcasts in the past all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from casey r a little bit of a long one here so buckle in he writes okay. i just needed to say something to someone who might have a good perspective on this for me i am a regular member of one of the biggest mma forums However," It's been difficult these last few years, and now it's basically impossible for me to go on there without ending up extremely pissed off and depressed. Why is it that MMA fans seem to be mostly insane conspiracy theorists? The forum is full of people screaming about Antifa plants during the attempted insurrection, calling hardcore Republicans like Pence and McConnell rhinos and traitors. Am I just crazy, or does it seem like MMA attracts some of the worst people on the planet? I am really, really losing interest in the sport altogether because of how dumb and disgusting the fan base seems to be. Please bring me back. I need this in my life.
1: (laughs) Okay, I sympathize. First of all, I, I totally get where this is coming from. And it reminds me of another thing that's going on. Did you see this column in the Atlantic? I believe it came out yesterday called the worst revolution ever by Caitlin Flanagan. Uh, somebody asked me about it in my athletic mailbag. Here was the lead to this column. Here they were, a coalition of the willing, deadbeat dads, you porn enthusiasts, slow students, and MMA fans. They had heard the rebel yell, pack up their Confederate flags and Trump banners, and GPS their way to Washington. Now, it goes on to talk about, this is the characterization of who showed up in Washington, D.C. for this violent insurrection at the Capitol. And you know that MMA fans bristled at seeing their names in Caitlin Flanagan's mouth, especially the people like, you know, if you're a KCR of the world out there feeling like, man, I was already feeling annoyed at this shit inside the bubble. And then when people from outside the bubble are saying, hey, this is who we, when we think of MMA fans, we think of these people and you're going, God damn it. I totally get that.
0: Yeah. And let, let me just say I don't want to I don't want to cut you off. I'm a, I'm going to let you finish. But uh if MMA fans bristled at that characterization in that lead, I get it. Yeah. I think it seems fair to bristle or take umbrage at that characterization uh because the fan base is not a monolith as we can attest to as most of the people who are still listening to this show can attest to uh and it's unfair I think to make that crowd in Washington DC Seem like one of the uniting characteristics was being MMA fans. When I would argue there are probably ideologies that other ideologies you could mention that might be a more uniting factor in terms of who who showed out and showed up there. But uh, go on, go on. That
1: said, however, we we can't sit here and act like Pat Milicic wasn't out there posting pictures of himself on social media at this thing with like a two way radio, like a walkie talkie on his hip, posing next to some guy flashing the white power sign while they're all in like camouflage and tactical gear and shit like that. Yeah. We can't act like one of MMA's most noted conspiracy theorists got all Tito Ortiz got all the way to elected office mayor pro tem of Huntington beach based on this exact sort of bullshit. Yeah. We can't act like it's not there. And I would even say, we probably can't act like it's not there in greater proportion to the overall fan base than it is in other sports. Yeah, Cause I'm sure a lot of those people at this thing in DC, if you'd ask them if they're fans of the NFL, first of all, they're going to find a way to talk about Neylander and the anthem during that, during their answer to that question. But I'm sure they watch a lot of other pro sports and yet it does feel like both MMA fighters and MMA fans have a higher proportion of people who not even with any particular political bent initially, but just were more willing to engage with any sort of conspiracy theory. Yeah. That just seems to be something embedded in the MMA DNA. And I I don't know if I can really tell you why it is, but I totally get feeling frustrated with it.
0: Yeah. We've talked about it a little bit before on some of our podcast properties, just about why a high percentage of fighters seem to be, at least vocal in their willingness to get tricked by conspiracy theories or to hold on to this particular philosophy. And I've said in the past, and I still think that it's halfway true that I feel like MMA appeals to people, some people who have a broad interest in personal protection and that in some ways it stands to reason that if you are going to be really into hand-to-hand combat, how to defend yourself through hand-to-hand combat, you would also be interested in how to defend yourself with a firearm or, you know, with with whatever means you you can muster. And in some ways, that's just like an extension of the Western uh, gun show culture, which has been going on here in Montana as long as I've been alive. Like, I remember being a kid and going down to, like, a gun show at, the, uh, college basketball stadium with my, my cousin, who's a gun enthusiast and just kind of like walking around and seeing like all the world war two paraphernalia, like Nazi flags and shit like that. And this is like the nineties, like the early nineties. Uh, and, and like, you could argue that like this same ideology that we see now storming the Capitol and beating police officers to death with fire extinguishers. Got it had its roots back there. That like in that in that kind of culture and mostly in the West and and Midwest. So like I I kind of think that that is a valid point that uh, people who have a, a like a general interest in either combat or defense are drawn to MMA and and maybe martial arts in general. I don't know. I also wonder though if MMA fans at some point are being red pilled a little bit because you and I have experienced this. You go to YouTube and you're looking yeah. at you're watching fights you're looking at fights or you you're watching like something where Joe Rogan appears and like the right hand corner of the screen where they're going to they're going to uh suggest other videos that you might be interested in it's like okay you just watched an Israel Adesanya highlight now would you like to watch this clip of Jordan Peterson being on the Joe yeah. Rogan podcast so i yeah. wonder if impressional mfers are looking after their interests on the internet and these algorithms are like taking them down these rabbit holes that, that eventually bend their, their personal philosophies one way or another.
1: Yeah, no, that is absolutely true. I mean, everybody has heard the stories by this point about how the YouTube algorithm just wants to feed you more and more extreme versions of whatever you start with, because they feel like that's the way to keep your attention. And for the record, at least the way I've experienced that YouTube stuff you don't have to watch any you don't have to watch a clip from the Joe Rogan show for that to happen. If you watch any sort of MMA shit on YouTube at all, whether it's clips from old fights, technique breakdowns, jujitsu video, like instructional videos and stuff, you start out trying to look for sweeps from Half Guard. And if you just let it play, YouTube is gonna feed you to Jordan Peterson really quickly like that's just that seems to be embedded in the the way they do it and i can definitely see how if you're not super conscious about what you're consuming and you're not you're just letting it kind of ride while you're out there watching youtube i can see how maybe you end up there i can also see how some of these people from the outside look at us and look at the kind of people that mma has that are like the most vocal attention getters be either as fighters or fans or or Dana White out there talking about Donald Trump, putting out their combatant-in-chief video about Donald Trump and then quietly taking it down when it seems like maybe it's <laughs> not going so great. I can see how they would look at all that stuff and it creates a pretty clear picture to them that, hey, this is who these people are. And I listen to the co-main event podcast chat, sadly. Sadly. And but like we know from the people we hear from and the people that we interact with the other journalists and like the, the fans, the people, like, I feel like I've kind of finally gotten to a place on Twitter where I've crafted a, like a not terrible thing. Like I've muted all the right people at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Not all of them. Every once in a while, uh, you know, you tweet about some stuff in the news lately and some people will pop up to basically be like, mute me, mute me, mute me next. And I'll be like, yeah, done. There you go. But then you start to create a, a, an ecosystem for yourself where you feel like, okay, I can live in this. Yeah. But I also understand how it doesn't seem that way to other people who, especially if you're just going on a message board or you're just hearing from other fans and I can totally get like Casey's frustration with it by just being like, fuck this. This is enough to just make me not want to interact with any of you people. And half the fun of being an MMA fan is being online, talking with other MMA fans, especially because most MMA fans in my experience don't have a lot of other people in their like day-to-day lives who yeah. are big MMA fans. It, the fun of it is being on Twitter, on fight nights, talking about it online with other people who are into it. Getting that sort of like, oh, we're all speaking the same language feeling when you can talk like where somebody would be like, well, what do you think of Max's chances against Cutter this weekend? And fucking 95% of the people you meet, that means nothing. Right. They, were, they are not going to have, they're not going to have an opinion. They don't want to talk about it, all that kind of shit. And so being able to find any of those other people, you start to feel like you feel this nice sort of like serotonin release where you're like, oh, okay, we we can have this same language. And then with those are the same people who have been like, how about Antifa, uh, infiltrating this thing with paid actors. And then you have to be like, God damn it. Now I can't talk to you now. What now there's nothing for us to say to each other. Like. I, I I absolutely get that frustration. All I guess I could say to Casey is that like, there are there are some people out there that are not like that and who are MMA fans. You, it just maybe requires a little bit more conscious selection in order to find them.
0: Yeah. Anytime you are a part of a, a group or, uh, you know, part of a, like a, anything you like, basically, there's going to be a bunch of people there who are assholes. Unfortunately, like you go to a college football game or I do. And I look around at the rest of the crowd and it's not like, I think, yeah, I want to be down with most of these people. Right. Or like,
1: well, you don't like anybody though. So that needs to be said.
0: That's true. But like you go, you go to almost anything. You go to a, like a, a pro wrestling event, you go to a, an MMA event, you go to any kind of sporting event. It's going to be some assholes there. And, and is there a higher percentage of assholes in MMA? I don't know. I don't have any statistics to back that up, but you got to, like you said, carve out a space in that ecosystem where you feel like you can exist. And we all need to decide for ourselves how we do that. If you want to be the kind of person that confronts the assholes, or if you want to be the kind of person who mutes the assholes and exists in your own little uh, ecosystem that you have created for yourself, by the way, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a place called patreoncom slash co-main event where there are a lot of good smart people who want to talk about fights and, you know, and also may, us,
1: in addition to the good, smart
0: people. And may or may not have uh, their own message board that they they do the damn thing on. And not that I want to turn this into a plug for that, but like there are spaces, man. There are spaces that you can find where you can be a fan and talk to people who are cool and interesting. That was probably We probably spent way too long on that question. So I'm going to go on to uh, this one from Glenn from Stan Makita's Donuts. Okay, I get it. What, what is that a
1: reference to? So Wayne's World reference. Okay,
0: all right, I got gotcha. you. He writes in the upcoming run of Fight Island cards. What storyline or fight is not going to be talked about or promoted enough because of being buried under the McGregor headlines and the sheer sensory overload of the three fight cards in one week?
1: That's a good question because we've we've talked about this before. When when the UFC used to do those events where it would, they would do three days in a row, yeah, you know, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And by the time you'd get to Saturday night, you'd go, I know I watched some fights on Thursday, but it feels like a long time ago. And it's probably going to be a similar thing here, especially because in addition to doing three fights in the span of a week and it being a restart after a lull in the UFC schedule, you have the 500-pound gorilla in the room, Conor McGregor, coming up. And as you might say, Chad, sucking up a lot of the oxygen in the room.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, You know what I'm going to point out? And I don't know if this one's too obvious because it's one of the main events here, but you got Michael Chiesa against Neil Magny going down uh, at this event that is going to be on Wednesday, next Wednesday, uh, again, over there at the, the, the fight peninsula in the Etihad arena. But like, if you, if you are a fight fan of a sensibility like mine, where you think both Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny are fun fighters and fun dudes. And generally speaking, good dudes that you can feel okay about rooting for. I kind of wish that they had put this one on ABC to be honest with you, because like, I think it's going to be a cracker Jack of a fight and it's one that I'm really looking forward to. And yet it does feel like the kind of thing that might get swallowed up by the, by the rest of the news cycle, by the time we get done with this week and weekend yeah. and next
1: weekend. Yeah. Uh, for me, you mentioned it a little bit, but seeing Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown as one of yeah. these fights that feels like, wait a minute, how do how do we make it through the year 2012 or whatever without doing this? Right. Like like three times already. Um, that Fights like those where I'm like, okay, you can just tell me at any point, at any point in the last 10 years, you can say to me that Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown is happening and I'm going to get excited. And yet when there's all this other stuff going on, especially these guys are going to fight. I mean, that one's going to be on ABC, but you're probably talking about two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. These guys are going to fight while the rest of the world that barely pays attention to combat sports is going, wait, I heard there's a Conor McGregor thing soon. That seems like probably not going to get enough attention.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Sean Clark, who writes, can we discuss Bellator transfer, Michael Chandler? I like that. He calls him a transfer, which probably tells you, uh, I guess which country Sean Clark's not from. Uh <laughs> he writes to conjure my inner Tom Hanks in big. I don't get it. With losses to Castaway, see what I did there? Will Brooks uh-huh. twice okay. and Bellator punchline Brent Primus. Why do we feel like he is among the world's top 5 lightweight's on earth? Maybe I'll be in a money pit here, but I'm all in on the hooker in <laughs> this matchup. Discuss. Uh why money Brent, pit
1: was where it went too far. Yeah.
0: Yeah, why is Brent Primus a punchline? I don't understand that. Just because he's I don't, up and down?
1: I don't know. And that one, come on. We all saw what happened in that fight. The, the, it's not like he just got steamrolled by Brent Primus. Brent Primus ran into that kick. His leg went all wonky for a little while, hurt himself. And then they yanked the damn stool out from under him, Chad, when he was trying to sit down.
0: Yes, they did. Yes, they yanked did. Yanked the
1: stool out from under my man. Okay. But I I do see where Sean Clark is coming from with this. I would just say that I think a lot of the excitement uh, over Michael Chandler is a new blood in one of the most exciting and talent rich divisions just in the entire sport. And it's always been an interesting picture in the UFC. You add a guy who we know, one of the few Bellator guys who we know and care about, you add him into the mix and people go, okay, this is exciting. I also think we're doing a lot of it based on the potential that we've seen Michael Chandler show in some Mm -hmm. of these fights I think it's a lot of based on like, here's what we think he can do when he puts it all together. We know that he's a good ass fighter. And I think there's always an excitement to see like sort of the, the interleague play version of MMA where we get to take somebody from somewhere else and we go, okay, we're taking him while he's still sort of at his at or near his prime. And we're moving him over to the other organization. And that will give us a little bit of a bellwether to tell us, how these guys might stack up. And we're doing it in one of the divisions where we actually care to see how they'd stack up.
0: Yeah, he's a former champion from another organization. He's got a win over Eddie Alvarez. He's got two wins over Benson Henderson. He beat one of the Pitbull brothers. He was very good over a long period of time in Bellator. He seems like an amazing athlete, a hard-nosed fighter, looks damn good getting off the bus. Uh, I don't see what there is not to like about Michael Chandler, frankly. He
1: would like to know if you want to join him on Parlor.
0: Oh, okay. Well, there's that there's that there you Uh, go see that was the wrong turn of phrase that i just used there (laughs) a second ago
1: you you Uh, said it i'm gonna spike it chad
0: i will say this though matching michael chandler up with dan hooker as his ufc debut is some classic maybe we want this guy from another organization to get undressed by a mid-level ufc fighter ufc matchmaking like this this is this is like uh uh when Sean Gannon comes over and you have him fight Brandon Lee Hinkle in his first fight like you're just you're you're hoping for one guy to get beat up and obviously I don't know that that's the case in ter- by UFC matchmakers but it just seems like all right we're going to give this guy a damn stiff test right out the gate
1: right but what, what else does with it. what else would you have them do in this situation i mean it's kind of similar like Eddie Alvarez came in and faced what Donald Cerrone in his first fight but if you're going to pay the kind of free agent money for this guy, on the basis that he's a former champion in this other organization, and we're going to bring him over. I don't think that the guy does get a, a UFC warm up fight. Like we're we're paying him that kind of money. He's supposed to be a big deal. Throw him in there. Let's find out if he's a big deal. I mean, if we were going to watch uh, Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson or, or Justin Gaethje or something like fights that we would have been excited about watching. Throwing him in there against my, against Dan Hooker, I understand what you're saying about somebody who, after that loss to Dustin Poirier, maybe we're looking at Dan Hooker and being like, okay, he's he's one of the good dudes in the division, but he's not one of the top dudes in the division.
0: Right. He's not one but, of the big names. Right. But if you go in there
1: and you can't beat a Dan Hooker, well, then maybe we learned one of the things that we were hoping to learn through this whole experience. But if you if you do go in there and you beat up Dan Hooker, then it feels like, okay, that's a good point to start from. Like I, I can't really fault him too much for the matchmaking, especially because it's not as if it's not like a video game where we can just bring Michael Chandler in and we have the whole roster sitting there. We can just pick and choose anybody we want to match Michael Chandler up against. First, we kind of got to deal with who just fought, who's available, who who can do this date, who makes sense for him. I think Dan Hooker's a pretty good choice there and a a pretty good test to to find out something about you.
0: Yeah. I think you make a good point that that we're probably, this might just be a scheduling issue that, you know, who's available and and who can, who can go and who just fought my money. I would have liked to see Michael Chandler against a slightly bigger name. Like you're going to make, you're going to have all this fanfare. One of the biggest free agent pickups in recent memory. You're going to use the guy basically as a, uh, an understudy for one of the big fights of the year to close out the year. Uh, I would have thought you would want to make a little bit bigger deal out of his, out of his debut, but maybe you're right. Maybe Dan hooker is just the, the guy who was available. I don't know.
1: Well, let's also not forget that this fight also serves as a sort of built in backup. If something happens with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, which with everything that's going on, Chad, there's tons of stuff that could happen. And so you give yourself two other good lightweights who we know put them on the same card. If something happens, if, if something were to happen to either one of those guys and you had to move Michael Chandler up into the main event, it wouldn't be the end of the world. You could still work with that.
0: That's true. Although I heard the old Connor is back. So uh, I'm not too concerned because wait, what about the new, new Connor? No, old Connor is back. Okay. New Connor had to uh, cancel his trip around the world to raise awareness for water safety. Right. Old Connor now is back. I've heard.
1: Okay, well, I'm, I'm look forward to seeing what that's like.
0: All right, one more this week, and then uh, we'll move on to round number one. This one from Tracy Dickinson, who writes: I see that Diego Sanchez. Tracy time. I see that Sorry. Diego Sanchez has announced that his next fight will be his last. I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's relieved to see this. While well, it's come much later than a lot of us would have liked, is there anything you'll miss about having him in the UFC or a favorite moment fight? From his from the past 15 plus years, I've always enjoyed his ability to strut like a peacock so convincingly while Bruce Buffer is making the introductions, <laughs> and any preference on who his final fight should be against, I saw that James Kraus seemed interested in a call out from the Nightmare that could potentially be an interesting matchup that hopefully won't make me too terribly sad. Uh, I would like to just before we talk about who we think Diego Sanchez could, should fight in his last fight, you know who I like? I like early Diego Sanchez. I like a dude who is going to conjure the energy from his storm and then is going to go out there and use his wrestling skills to look like Matt Hughes with more ferocity and a better gas tank, take motherfuckers down and pound the shit out of them and defeat them that way. I know that the, the version of Diego Sanchez that captured the hearts and minds of most MMA fans is the latter version of Diego Sanchez who went out there hard on his sleeve, determined to go out on his shield and threw them bungalows with every single person that would that would agree to throw them with him. But man, I feel like maybe people who haven't been around long enough, or or we've just been swept up on what we've seen most recently. But the Diego Sanchez who was really really good, and the Diego Sanchez who I thought had a chance to be a UFC champ when he first came in after Tough One, was that Diego Sanchez, the Diego Sanchez who fought that way. Not necessarily the guy who probably became a much bigger draw because everyone wanted to see him in the in the bloody slugfests but like the guy who who like actually used his his ferocious wrestling skills to to win fights that's the dude that i honestly will remember the most fondly
1: yeah we know that about you yeah you have you have mentioned it once or
0: twice i'm going to mention wish- it it seems like i'm running out of chances to mention it now because if this okay. is his last fight
1: first of all first of all do we believe that do we believe that I, I saw the same thing where Diego Sanchez is saying, you know what? Like he seems like he's kind of dropped the thing of I want their, I want to go out on a big one, so it has to be the right matchup. Like last thing I saw was him saying, hey, it's in their hands, whatever they want to do. The the time for me is ending. It's time to go from fighting to healing. Saying all the right stuff. Stuff that I have wanted to hear from Diego Sanchez. To be like, yes, transition to a new understanding of yourself and a new way to live your life, because this one can only go so far. And it's going to have some consequences if you stick around in it too long. And yet it's also just because maybe my experience following the fight game over all these years, hard for me to believe it.
0: Yeah. Well, we can't I believe I guess any of these guys no. when they say that,
1: right? It's just really tough to believe it with Diego Sanchez because doesn't he seem like the prototype of the guy who goes away for nine to 12 months and then starts to to discover how great he feels yeah. when he's not being punched in the head every day and right. like how young he feels. And right, you know. we
0: have, we have already heard Diego Sanchez say something like that when he was forced to take some time off just due to injuries, he comes back and he says, Oh, I've, I haven't felt like this since the beginning of my career. I would also like Diego Sanchez's chances at retirement better. Had he not had some of the like stabilizing forces, I think removed from his life over the last several years, he got divorced um, I don't necessarily he's not doing Jackson Winklejohn anymore, I don't think. I think he's he's somewhere else. And as we know, uh he's Josh Josh Fabias running the camps over there at the school of self-awareness. So like all of those are worrying signs to me about what Diego Sanchez is gonna have after he walks away. Uh, but like through it all, through all of this, Diego Sanchez has seemed like, if nothing else, like a pretty likable dude. And so I think we all probably want the best for him, whether yeah. or not it comes to fruition. I guess we'll never know. And like, maybe I will just echo Tracy's sentiments here. When I say, I I just want to see Diego Sanchez fight somebody in his last fight. Who's not going to beat him up too bad. Right? Like, I don't want to come out of this feeling super depressed that they fed Diego Sanchez to some up and coming contender that just brutalized him.
1: Yeah. I feel the same way there. Uh, An answer to Tracy's question though, my favorite Diego Sanchez, what I like to call spike TV, Diego Sanchez back when Deo Sanchez was a mainstay on these Spike TV Ultimate Fight Night events, like UFC Fight Night or like Ultimate Fighter finales, you go back and you look at some of the work he did on some of those Spike TV events, and I'm talking like 2005, 6, 7, around there, right, when we're still in like Season 2 and 3 of the Ultimate Fighter, but the UFC has had built up a pretty good conveyor belt of these guys show up in one kind of starter property they move up from a undercard guy on a fight night event on Spike TV to a main event of a couple fight night events. And then they move up to a pay-per-view guy who actually paid a C. So then when you do buy the pay-per-view, you feel like, oh, this shit is stacked. I know everybody on this main card. And Diego Sanchez was like an archetypal version of that. Uh, 2000, He wins the Ultimate Fighter 1, beats up Kenny Florian, becomes the, the actual first Ultimate Fighter, April 9th, 2005. November of that same year, fights Nick Diaz at the Tough 2 finale on Spike TV. Uh, then fights John Alessio, to, uh, beats him at a UFC pay-per-view. Then comes back UFC Fight Night 6, 2006, fights Carl Parisian. That one was a memorable fight, just an absolute fucking dog fight. Uh, and then later that same year, UFC Fight Night, he main events, knocking out Joe Riggs. I, That's a
0: good stretch right there.
1: That was the the Diego Sanchez where it it's like he was 17 to know by the time he knocked out Joe Riggs. And it seemed like Diego Sanchez is headed for the top.
0: Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you've got a question or a comment you'd like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, co-main event.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that will get you in touch for us in touch with us. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, the UFC's debut on ABC comes at a weird time in the career of one 29-year-old Jerome Max Holloway, previously the UFC welterweight champion, at one time had run his overall professional record to 20-3 and three with his TKO victory over Brian Ortega at UFC 231 back near the end of 2018. Since then, this man is 1-3, his win over Frankie Edgar at UFC 240, the lone victory in this stretch that includes a loss to Dustin Poirier and then back-to-back defeats against the new champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, especially at UFC 241 or UFC 251, one that was uh, razor thin and could have gone either way. I don't want to make it seem like things are too dire here for Max Holloway because in any way this goes, he's obviously still going to have a lot of life left in this sport. But this is sure one you'd like to see Max Holloway win if you are in the business of Max Holloway being regarded as an elite 145-pound fighter, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people do make too much of his win-loss record in the last few. Because, for one thing, there are a whole lot of people out there who will still go to the mattresses on the claim that Max Holloway deserved to win that rematch against Alexander Volkanovsky. It's a close damn fight. You could it's split decision, you could call it either way, and I can't get too mad at you. But if you, it's, it sounds bad to say... The guy is one in three in his last four. But then when you look at it, and it's two losses to Alexander Volkanovsky, both of them in close fights to the probably best 145-pounder in the world, uh, or at least you know, one of the best, depending on where you rate the pit bull over there in Bellator. And then the other was going up and wait to fight Dustin Poirier, who later went on to be, be a challenger for Khabib and is still like a—, a capital G guy in the lightweight division and he lost the decision there it's hard for me to look at those even if the numbers sound bad and go Max Holloway has washed up I mean yes he's got some miles on the odometer more than you'd expect for most 29 year olds in MMA because he started sooner and because you look at just how many five round fights the guy has fought recently he's racked up a whole lot of rounds in there So I kind of understand that there's a part of people I feel like who are waiting for Max Holloway to fall off because it just seems like he's been through a lot in a very, very short period of time. I think what this kind of fight helps you determine is, is he still going to be a capital G guy going forward? Or is he among the best featherweights in the world? Because if you're still going to be one of those guys who has to come up whenever we're talking about what to do with the featherweight title next, Calvin Caters a guy you got to beat. Yeah. At the same time, Calvin Cater's a good damn fighter, man, and they're on, on the come up. Yeah. So I, I, it's not like if you can't beat Calvin Cater, you absolutely suck and need to retire.
0: No, but I would like to see Max Holloway, if nothing else, go out there in this fight and look like the Max Holloway who ran off all those wins in route and during his reign as, as featherweight champion, like the guy who's just going to go out there and throw so many different techniques at you that he's kind of going to overload the circuitry in your mind brain and you're not going to be able to to compute it. You're not going to be able to withstand it, and eventually he's going to beat you either by lopsided decision or you're just going to crumble under the pressure at some point. Calvin Cater, as you mentioned, comes into this thing in much better shape just in terms of where he stands in the division, he's got those back to back wins against uh, Jeremy Stevens and Dan Ige. He's won four of his last five. He lost a the de- decision to beat Magomed Sheripov back in in November of uh, 2019. He's actually the older fighter here at 32 years old. Uh this would be pretty huge if Calvin Cater manages to to go out there and, and beat Max Holloway. Uh, what do you want to see from your guy, Calvin Cater, here if if uh what we need to see from Max Holloway is maybe a little bit of a return to form.
1: Well, I think one of the things Calvin Cater does well is just by being like a good technical boxer in MMA. And the question is, can he use that against people who can do more than just that? And Max Holloway, I think is a pretty good example. Like where Max Holloway can do a lot of stuff really well. And can you just go out there by just being a kind of a a smooth boxer who doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but also hits pretty hard. Is that enough against Max Holloway or does he do the Max Holloway thing to you where he gets you to, he he encourages you to believe that that's going to be enough. And then the next thing you know, you're spent and he's just throwing outrageous numbers of strikes at you from all possible angles. And you don't have anything left for the guy. Like that's, We've talked before about whether that is a style of Max Holloway's that will age well, kind of the thing he did to Jose Aldo, where he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you're finding success. Like, come on, keep doing it. I'm going to keep pressuring you, and you, and, and you keep doing that thing. And then the next thing you know, you're in deep trouble, and you don't have a way out of it. And I'll be interested to see what approach he takes against Calvin Cater and and then how, how that plays out. But also, like, for Calvin Cater, this is the one where you're looking to show, like, I'm not just a like a fun guy to watch or a guy who can beat up the Jeremy Stephens of the world. I am looking at a world title because if you look at where the division is, you got probably Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega next. And if it's Max Holloway who comes out of this and it's Volkanovsky who comes out of that one, what do you do? Do you do a third fight between those, uh, between those two guys? Because I could understand how Volkanovsky had said, what are we going to keep doing this until he wins one? Yeah. Like, I'm 2-0 and oh against the guy. Give it a rest. I can like We're going to be looking for some fresh blood there at 145 pounds. So if you're Calvin Cater, you think, this is the one. If I beat the ex-champ and then however the dust clears after the next title fight or you know, even if they, they, for one reason or another, maybe can't get that one scheduled, you can be like, I'm right here and I've got a good claim on it.
0: Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about what the UFC is angling for here with this as the main event fight. In its first broadcast on ABC, obviously coming up in round three, we'll we'll uh, talk a little bit more about how the UFC has historically used its network television broadcast and what we think we can expect from the ABC partnership moving forward. But just as in terms of like a first broadcast on network television in a bit since the Fox deal ended, this will be the UFC's first return to actual network television. Uh, the first time around, we saw them throw Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos out there as sort of like a teaser fight on Fox many years ago now. What do you think they're looking for out of uh, Max Holloway and Calvin Cater? Just because we talked about how, you know, it's not a championship fight. You don't really have a belt on the poster. It's going to be, I think, a a great technical fight. I think it'll be action packed. I think it'll be fun to watch, but it doesn't necessarily scream. You got to watch me, especially if you are a a casual viewer or someone who doesn't necessarily know but much about MMA. You're not going to see either. Calvin Cater or Max Holloway like on a commercial during a football game and be like oh shit I got to mark my calendar and watch that one for sure what do you think
1: yeah but you're also you're doing this one on Saturday afternoon for a reason and it's not just because you're over there in the fight a told. it's because you're worried about going up against the NFL and so I think what you're looking for out of them is like you said a technical fight like a good action packed fight that these guys both seem like they're not going to stand there and stare at each other for 25 minutes and I think, though, you're also hoping that they do go a little while. I think best-case scenario for you is they start having themselves a really good fight, and it's the, hey, are you watching this fight text message kind of situation, where people are telling people, like, hey, check this out. This shit's on ABC. Tune into it right now. or You know, that kind of thing. And it's reasonable to hope that you could get that out of these guys, yeah. because it's reasonable to hope that they'll go all 25 minutes and that – it'll be a good fun time from round one to round five and that you might actually get that sort of viewership uptick as it goes on.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, did you see Kevin Holland, arguably the fighter of the year in 2020, at least up there, a runner up behind Davis and Figueredo, if nothing else headed into his March 20th fight against Derek Brunson, uh, Kevin Holland had this to say about his game plan. Okay. If, if I can time his favorite combo, right, it might not be five rounds. I'm definitely preparing for five. So we'll see how it goes. I have plenty of time to prepare. So I should be more than great. I've got a see a sequence. If I split his jab, roll his overhand and then hit him with a good hip thrust. When he goes for a takedown, I'll knock him out with my cojones.
1: I'm sorry. What? Does, am I am I hearing that correctly? Am I understanding
0: yeah. that correctly? I don't think he means figuratively. I think he means I'll knock him out with my balls because I'm going to hit him with him when he goes for a takedown.
1: So we're we're planning on a test testicle strike TKO. I I mean I kind of want to see it happen just so I know how we'll write it up, like on the Wikipedia page, like what the method of victory is.
0: Yeah. I think it would say TKO and then in parentheses it would say are you fucking kidding me.
1: <laughs> so are you are you fucking kidding me is is about the the suggestion on Kevin Holland's part or the the possibility that it might
0: actually happen. It just seems like a bold game plan, man. Plan to go out there and knock this man out with my testicles. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well
1: Chad You know, we've all been real interested around here to find out what's going to happen next for your boy Bobby Knuckles. Yes. Right? He came off that win over Jared Cannonier, looking like a real title eliminator kind of thing. People are talking about Jared Cannonier. If he wins that fight, he could be next to challenge Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya now going up in weight to fight Jan Blachowicz. So where does that leave Bobby Knuckles? According to Dana White, quote, I don't think he's going to get a title shot next. He'll have to fight somebody else first. It's going to depend on what happens with Israel and Jan. We'll see what happens. If you're Bobby Knuckles right about now, are you not listening to some of this stuff and going, you fucking kidding me? Because here it is before the UFC was out here. Dana White was talking about how, I don't know what's up with this guy. He doesn't want a title shot. Then the champion is going to go up to a different division after we just did a fight where if you lost, it would have been to see who fights for the title, but you won. And now they're like, he'll have to fight. I don't know. Somebody else. Who? What what are we doing? What what are we waiting for with this guy? We just we're we're gonna make Bobby Knuckles just hang around, cannonball into the pool every once in a while, show up, fight whoever we think is a number one contender, and then if if he loses, that guy will get a fight for a title. But if he wins, uh, we'll see.
0: Are you fucking kidding me? Kidding Bobby Knuckles me? can't catch a break. That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
1: Chad, I want you to picture yourself this coming Saturday afternoon. You're sitting there on the couch. It's a little, little afternoon in the one two true time zone, perhaps. Let's say just as long as we're imagining hypotheticals, it's a nice sunny day outside. Light streaming in through the windows. As you sit there, you get ready to watch this fight card that the UFC is offering up here on ABC. You know you're excited about Max Holloway, Calvin Cater coming up next, but Chad... Can you get hyped a little bit earlier than that for Joaquin Buckley versus Alessio DeCirico? How about Santiago Panzanibio against Lee, the leech, Lijing Lee Liang? How about Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown? When you look at this lineup, are you going, all right, this is a kind of thing that I feel like we could roll out for your Johnny Q network TV viewer? Even if. Maybe the names don't jump out at you. Are you feeling excited about what we might actually show them as far as action after the bell?
0: I mean, this seems like a car designed to deliver violence, does it yeah. not? You got mm-hmm. uh, Puna Soriano on there, who's a real aggressive striker. Of course, Joaquin Buckley, as you mentioned uh, the guy who delivered the the rolling mule kick strike that knocked got a knockout, maybe the knockout of the year last year. Santiago Ponzinibbio and Li Liang are both action fighters, and then in the co-main, two gentlemen of a certain age, Carlos Condit, or as we like to say around these parts, Carlos Conduit, and Matt Brown are probably just going to have a, a festival of violence in the in the co-main so it seems that the the strategy is pretty obvious here that you're maybe not going to have the biggest names the the people that uh that casual fight fans have heard of but if they do tune in that you're just going to get fun fight after fun fight after fun fight and as you said with this thing going down in the afternoon due to the playoff football we're trying to get out of the way of the nfl maybe that's not a terrible strategy maybe yeah. uh some people will be hanging around. In the afternoon and, and they'll hear from friends or they'll stumble upon the broadcast and and we'll get a bunch of, of really good fights out of it. So I don't expect it to be one that, that comes out here and blows everybody out of the water with its amazing uh, midday ratings on network television. But I think for the heads, for the people who are going to actually tune into this thing, uh, you've got a high probability of some action pack fights here.
1: Yeah, and I like that it's a little bit of everything. You got Joaquin Buckley as the guy like, okay, we've just started getting excited about what this guy can do. You got Santiago Ponzinibbio as somebody who's been hanging around looking like a really solid fighter against like a guy like Li Zhang Liang. Uh, And then you're right that we got some people where we're going, hey, you might remember these two guys. And even if you don't, they're both going to walk out to some heavy metal ass shit and then just try to bash each other's brains in. And how are you not going to have a good time there? If you're into this thing at all, those guys are going to show you a good time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Carlos Conant came out and, and uh, got a feel good win. I guess you could say over court McGee His most recent time out. Uh, Matt Brown is another, as everyone knows, longtime fan favorite rolls into this thing on the heels of a loss back in, in May of 2020. But I think we're throwing the records out here, aren't we? We're throwing out the records. We're throwing out the, uh, the storylines we're throwing out any kind of, of uh, linear matchmaking or hopes for the future or, or memories of the past. And we're just, we're going to watch these two gladiators though. Usually I don't like to say that about the MMA fighters, but like these, these two, two men are going to go to war in your co-main event.
1: I was a little bit surprised to see Carlos Condit. It's a slight favorite here.
0: That is interesting.
1: I, I wondered if that was the odds makers thinking like, all right, Matt Brown's going to bite down on his mouthpiece and go, especially if you give him a matchup like this. Maybe Carlos Conduit, you're thinking, is the uh, the thinking man's fighter. Yeah. He's going to go in there and look for a different path that doesn't require just planting his feet and throwing down, even though it's exactly what we're hoping for.
0: Yeah. Well, we've seen Carlos Condit paint a masterpiece against a guy like Nick Diaz when uh, Diaz wanted to come out and be super aggressive and chase him around the cage. And Condit responded really well to that. Uh, We've also seen Carlos Condit arguably be at his best when the fight gets a little greasy, gets a little bloody, gets into the latter stages, and Condit can remind you, oh, by the way, I am super dangerous on the ground as well, and that's the kind of thing that you could see Matt Brown potentially falling victim to in this fight, so uh, yeah, I I was wondering what the odds were. I guess I'm not totally shocked that those are the odds, but also like uh, a little bit, a little bit of, of of some raised eyebrows there, but I, you know, maybe when you start thinking about maybe this is when Carlos Conant has a good chance to win.
1: Uh, I was a little bit surprised. Do you want to know who, at least based on the odds I'm looking at, is the biggest favorite on this whole card? Who? Santiago Ponzanivio. Okay. Over the yeah. Leech. Yeah. Looking around a three to one favorite, depending on the odds makers that you put. If you had 20 bucks you never want to see again, can you talk yourself into throwing it down on the Leech?
0: Well, I mean, maybe. Santiago Ponzinibbio has not been around for a while. We haven't seen him since the end of 2018, but the man also hasn't lost in around, well, five years almost at this point, more than five years, right? His last loss was Lorenz Larkin back in 2015. So he's been on a hell of a run. He's got wins over Neil Magny. He's got wins over Mike Perry. He's got wins over Gunnar Nelson, Court McGee also on this list. So uh, if Santiago Ponzinibbio returns... You know, as the same guy that we knew in the past and he doesn't have ring rust on him, he can go out there and be the Santiago punzanibio of old. Like, yeah, I don't have a hard time believing it at all. He can he can beat the leech. I'm keeping my yeah. twenty dollars in my pocket where I know I can see it again.
1: You know what? That's boring, but I can't say that it's a unsound financial decision on your part.
0: We all have to tighten the belt a little bit in these troubled times, Ben with everything that's been going on trademark symbol.
1: Not me. I'm going out there and putting it down on some three card money.
0: That does sound like you speaking of which what's the, uh, what's the Ben folks main event here. What's the, what's the thing you look at this ABC card. As we mentioned, you got a lot of hitters on here, a lot of killers. What's the thing you're looking at as perhaps the most interesting.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, if I could only catch the Twitter bite-sized highlight of a fight, it would be, Joaquin Buckley versus Alessio DiCirco, because you know we're all hoping for some crazy shit there out of Joaquin Buckley. You wonder how long he can keep that streak going. But the one that just speaks to my heart, I got to say it's Matt Brown and Carlos Condit. Yeah. Just because, just the the pure nostalgia factor for me. Wanted to go out. and, But see, this is one where ABC, you go out there, if you, if you cut out the walkouts here, if we don't get to hear... Matt Brown coming out to like Thunder Horse or whatever it is that he's he just coming out to like some, some cannibal corpse or whatever it is he wants to come out to. You are robbing us of the full experience. I yeah. will not stand for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see Phil Hawes on here. He's down there in the featured prelim slot. Of course, the guy who uh, was regarded as an MMA super prospect, maybe not quite to the level of like an Aaron Pico or something like that. But a guy who like back in the day, everyone was super high on thought he was going to make a lot of noise in this sport. And then he went through some, some up and down times, some trials and tribulations comes back, uh, gets into the UFC, gets a win in his debut. And now he winds up potentially on this ABC card. So that's an interesting uh, footnote to the prelims here. If if you're interested in watching those that, that, uh, that Phil Haas looking to extend his, his run of good fortune here, a return to form as well as a, a guy that people had super high hopes for at the beginning of his career.
1: Also continuing his run as a reigning looks good getting off the bus contender.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's Phil Haas is always going to have his, uh, his conditioning together. Yeah. That's one thing you can count on. That is going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. then, as we mentioned at the top of the show, MMA on network television has not necessarily been a guaranteed home run over the years. This will be the 36th time I believe that MMA has appeared on network television since Elite Elite XC primetime back on May 31st of 2008. Coincidentally enough, we just watched Elite XC primetime last week over on the Patreon page. Found it to be a pretty fun event, if not necessarily uh, pretty at all times, especially with the main event there with uh, the Colossus, James Thompson, getting his ear exploded by Kimbo Slice. Memorable. Still, still pretty pretty gross all these years later. Interesting to note, though, that uh, in terms of, of viewership and ratings, Elite XC Primetime garnered 6.5 million viewers at its peak and a 4.85 million average of course it was one of two events that elite xc mustered on cbs both of them headlined by kimbo slice the second one elite xc heat the disastrous event where ken shamrock pulled out at the last minute kimbo slice falls to seth Petrozelli, ultimately spelling the end in many ways for the elite xc promotion network television and mma gave way to strike force which also did two events on cbs uh fedor million inco versus brett rogers and then of course the ill-fated Strike Force Nashville card which ended with a huge brawl on uh on network television leading to Gus Johnson uttering one of the most infamous lines in the history of the sport these things happen in MMA and that was pretty much it for Strike Force giving way to uh the UFC at the beginning of its deal with Fox as we mentioned they uh they mounted this this teaser card with the one fight Cain Velasquez versus Junior dos Santos heavyweight title fight that ended in 64 seconds, the UFC uh, started out with a bang there. They garnered extremely good ratings for uh, for that Velasquez versus Dos Santos card. Almost 6 million people, 5.7 million people. They went on to do, I believe, 30 more events on Fox. And yet, Ben, the thing that happened was that the ratings for the UFC on Fox steadily declined over the course of that partnership, uh, going from Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos at the start to the final UFC on Fox card, which I believe was headlined by Kevin Lee versus Al Iaquinta in a rematch. What do you think we learned over the course of those 31 events and the UFC's uh, relationship with Fox specifically as it pertains to MMA on network television and what, what we can realistically, realistically expect to get done in that format on that platform.
1: Well, first of all, if you think we're going to have a discussion about MMA on network TV and I'm going to let you get away with pretending like the International Fight League did not put the first ever live fight on network TV with its World Grand Prix semifinals from the Sears Center in Chicago on November 3rd, 2007 on my network TV, Chad, which reached over 97% of households, you, you think again, you son of a bitch. I'm not going to let you rewrite MMA history that way. I'm sorry. Where was that broadcast? My network TV. Thank you very much.
0: I know that you are a former employee of the IFL, and you've probably got a uh, Portland Wolf Pack t-shirt on underneath whatever pile of trash you got on over there at this moment. But I would point out to you that just because it says the word network in the name of the broadcast platform, it does not necessarily mean that... My TV, my net, whatever it was, my network, my
1: network TV, God damn it. Put okay. some respect on its name.
0: Not a network. I'm just going to come out and say it. Not That's not a network.
1: But Chad, all you needed was to put the, like, if you had the bunny ears on your TV, you could get my network TV.
0: I'm sure that's true. I'm not, I'm not doubting the authenticity of what you're saying. I'm just saying that's not a, that's not a major network. That's not a major television network.
1: It, it used to be like the CW, was that? And it was like my network TV. But anyway, you're just going to try to revise MMA history. That's fine. An answer to your question about what our hopes for really were with MMA on network TV, where we ended up. The essential conflict, it seems, is. How much do we believe in network TV as an avenue to expand interest in the sport, show it to people who haven't seen it, maybe get some new fans versus how much is it just a thing we could do every once in a while, but not with any fights that we think people might actually pay for? Because that's what we saw, right? the That very first Fox event where it was just one fight teaser, heavyweight championship of the world. And that felt like a really big deal. It was presented as a really big deal. And it worked for what it was supposed to do for to get a bunch of ratings with just one fight to be able to say to people heavyweight championship of the world where they don't even need to know the people involved. You just tell them like, the heavyweight championship of the world is going to be contested on free TV tonight. All you got to do is just flip on the, the, the channel and, you'll, and you're there. That appeal, it really did what it was supposed to do. Brought in a ton of viewers, and yet, afterwards, the UFC did not seem that interested in trying to make that into a long-term strategy. It's like, okay, we're going to give you that one. Afterwards, the quality of what we're offering just dropped off steadily, and the ratings dropped off steadily with it. Yeah, and it's hard to see. Like, I can understand what the UFC might be thinking if they're going like, look. If we have this other thing that makes us a whole bunch of pay-per-view money, why would we give it away for free when we make the same money for all the Fox events or all the network TV events, regardless of how many people watch them? Like We want to save the good stuff for our pay-per-views. It's not like we have an overabundance of good stuff. That, like We really need it to shore up these pay-per-views. And that's a time when the UFC's pay-per-view business was doing really, really well. And yet, I guess I get back to the question of, do we still believe in creating new fans for the sport or are we just solely in a, we, we have our people, we have who we have. And the the trick is to just get more and more money out of them and to make sure that more and more of it ends up in the UFC coffers. Yeah. Cause it seems like that's going to be like the, how you answer that question determines how you think about what, how you want to proceed with network TV.
0: Right. And it seems like we know the answer to that question from the UFC's perspective, just judging by the the numerous changes in the business practices over the last handful of years has made it seem apparent that the UFC is just out to monetize the crowd that it's already got. But I guess if the question is whether or not we believe in network television as a driver to really create new interest in the sport and bring new fans to the sport, I have to say the answer is I don't know. Like uh, both Elite XC and Strike Force played with fire a little bit in their network television performances. And both of them ended up getting burned once by Kimbo slice once by that big brawl in Nashville, the UFC's start on Fox was auspicious. Like they did well with junior Dos Santos versus Kane Velasquez. And then they put the title on the line on Fox a handful of times over the next few years before, ultimately aside from a Demetrius Johnson fight or two here and there, they kind of gave up on that approach and eventually, as I said, you know, toward the end of the Fox deal, you were starting to get stuff like uh, Carlos Conant versus Damian Maya, uh, Shevchenko versus Pena, you know, Shogun versus Vera, stuff like that. Uh, and so it seems and, and like, frankly, you look at uh, Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater and that it seems like it fits right in with a fight that the UFC would have put on Fox years ago. So it, it doesn't seem like the UFC sees this opportunity on ESPN is like, okay, we can reset the books here. We can, we can try to make a big splash all over again. It seems like the company is very much content to just sort of keep doing what it had been doing. Although, as we mentioned in the last round, it seems like you're going to get a, uh, a fairly action packed card here on the, on ABC. But uh, I don't know, man, like if in a magical fairy tale world where the UFC went back to like maybe a boxing style network television promotion, where they were like, we are going to put, the heavyweight title on the on the on free TV once a year. We're going to put the light heavyweight title on free TV once a year. I honestly don't know what kind of audience that could draw and what kind of effect it might have on on overall uh, MMA numbers and and people that are fans of the sport because it's never really been tried. We've never really had yeah. someone who was willing to do that.
1: Well, and, uh, the thing that makes me wonder now is about the barrier to entry for a new fan, supposedly like a young fan, because. Yeah. In a way, you remember that Onion article about like 12-year-old boy can't believe no one told him about Bruce Lee before now? Yes. That's kind of how I often wonder about like if you're a 12-year-old boy or 12-year-old girl or anything, somebody who's into uh, stuff like combat sports and like this thing might really appeal to you. You'd hear about stuff. I mean, everybody else feels like, okay, we've heard all we need to know about MMA. We've decided one way or another whether we're into it. But – I mean, I can remember being like a 10 or 12-year-old boy and being like, boxing, huh? They just beat each other up. Like, well, this is pretty cool. Like, let me see some more of this. And watching a classic ESPN and my dad showing me old fights and stuff like that. And that feels like if you're going to have a a healthy sport moving on with like a good fan base, you need to be introducing these new fans to it. And if you have uh, big fights on network TV, that's something you could do because otherwise – you're putting the situation where you got like a 12 year old kid going to your parents saying, "Hey, can you get me an ESPN Plus subscription?" Great. And that's that's a little bit of a tougher sell. The more you you put behind a paywall, the tougher it is for new people who are just trying to figure this stuff out to really get into it and find you. If you're doing some actual big events that really get attention, and not just like, well, we already had this on the schedule, we might as well throw it on ABC, and it's at a weird time because of NFL football. It doesn't quite feel like that's what you think you're doing. It feels instead like you're just, you You were going to do some of this stuff anyway. Can they put it on uh, ABC in addition to ESPN Plus? Sure, go ahead. We don't care. Like That's fine with us. It's not really making it into a, here's our thing where a couple times a year, we, the UFC, make a pitch to you to say, hey, have you heard what's going on with us these days? Try it out. No risk. Just yeah. flip on the dial and here we'll be and maybe you'll like it.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's do just saying stuff. And then uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, what's your just saying stuff?
1: Well, Chad, as we sort of alluded to, there's a lot of uh, upheaval politically and socially going on in this country. But one of the things is that one way or another, it sure seems like come January 20th, there's going to be a new president in office. And that president will not be Dana White's best buddy which
0: yet (laughs) yet yet maybe they just don't know each other that well yet
1: Um, yeah that's that's possible i suppose but uh you remember that mahaban ali act thing yeah i'm just saying that's the kind of thing that we could start hearing about again pretty soon i talked to some people about that this past or past week or so about what the outlook is there we already know the uh Antitrust case against the UFC is proceeding. A bunch of journalists have signed letters, including those of us uh, in the MMAJA, uh, to Judge Boulware in that case, encouraging him to release all the the documents. The UFC kind of has a battle brewing on that front, but also... The supporters of the Muhammad Ali Act expansion, which would expand the Muhammad Ali Act and the Boxing Safety Act of 1996 to also apply to mixed martial arts, could have far-reaching implications on the sport of mixed martial arts. They say they're hoping to see it reintroduced in the spring. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a reality. I don't know if it's people's legislative priority when we're still dealing with a pandemic and... You know, whether or not we're still going to continue to be a functioning democracy, all those sort of big picture questions. I can see why some people might be saying, "Mm, not now with your professional cage fighting regulations. But the balance of power politically seems to have shifted a little bit. The UFC no longer has a friend that could just call up in the White House and say, how about veto that shit for me? I'm just saying that could be something to pay attention to.
0: Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, as we talked about earlier in the show... The official conditions and regulations for attendance of these upcoming UFC events at the Etihad arena over there in Abu Dhabi are officially out. There's a whole list of them, uh, stuff people got to abide by. If they're going to, they're going to want to attend the show in person, you got to have a valid 48 hour PCR test. You're going to have your, uh, your fever, your temperature checked. When you come in, uh, you got to adhere to social distancing guidelines. You, you can't, you got to have contactless payment everywhere you go. Here's one that caught my eye, Ben. Number three on the list of the overall official conditions. Wearing a face mask is always mandatory within the venue, even when seated. So I guess this week, I'm just saying for everybody. (laughs) Just saying.
1: You're worried that uh, maybe Calvin Cater's team isn't going to?
0: Well, we Is know much, reply, we uh, know that, that there will be 0% of cornermen wearing their masks properly. They will wear their damn masks anyway, but over their mouth and nose. But uh, I don't know. Are we going to strictly enforce this? Does everybody who's going to be in the arena have to have a mask on?
1: You're saying maybe in the distance, we, if we squint through the chain link, we might make out a, a reddish pinkish figure sitting there cage side without a mask.
0: It's going to be interesting to watch. Just another thing to pay attention to this weekend. Just saying. Just saying. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Of course, we'll be over at the Patreon page the rest of the week with a bunch of fun stuff happening, including Wednesday or Thursday's Movie Club episode about hard times, the live chat, and the power hour. Get over there, patreon.com slash co-main event, and join us if you th- feel inclined to do so. It's that support that keeps this podcast rolling, so we'd love it if you would. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
1: What's your what's your snack situation looking like for Saturday? Afternoon spice, though?
0: I mean, we just got a big Costco order in. So I got, I'm snacked up. I got, so I got snacks for yeah, right days. I got chips. I got crackers. I got cheese. I got... Uh, wow, you're just a fucking party animal. I got anything you want. I got anything you could possibly
1: have. Really? Anything? Yep. I'm just going to hey, throw it hey, out hey, there. Peace hey, Gonna throw it across the plate, see if you can hit it. Mini corn dogs. Nope, first thing. The first thing. Come on, man.
0: I got some of those uh, like what uh lawn things you can throw in the uh throw in the, uh, the
1: microwave? No, you can't. Yeah. Can. Okay, those are good.
0: Any corn dogs? I hadn't thought about. that. I don't know. If that's the kind of thing I need around. I don't know if I need to have mini corn dogs just at my beck and call at any at any moment. Careful.